Hello everyone and welcome to the Desk Adaptation Podcast, a bi-weekly book club where we choose one classic book and compare and contrast it against its cinematic adaptations. I'm your host, Nicola Grasso, and I'm joined as always by the great Yuan Gledo. How are you doing, Yuan, and what are you drinking today? <laughs> what I'm drinking today is a courtesy of the Brudnell Club in Leeds. So, Nath Brudnell, if you're listening to this, thank you. I'm very sorry, but I was a bit drunk and stole two of your cups. Um... <laughs> It says on the front, um, please don't take me home or put me in the bin. I genuinely, like, I didn't mean to, but I've got a denim jacket where the, the pocket is big enough to hold an entire pint glass, so I just popped okay. it in there for safekeeping at a gig. Forgot, you can't see the air quotes, but forgot. Because mm. <laughs> um, I like little bits of memorabilia. I regret not stealing anything from the lead mill in Sheffield, so I thought I'd do right by myself. And I've got a lovely drinking cup because I genuinely never used to have a cup before this, and I would just drink water out of a two-litre bottle, like a philistine, um, which was really awkward in work conference meetings when they just see me start chugging out of a two-litre bottle. Um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, doing good aside from that, my UK tour has come to an end, and I feel as tired as I was before it. But that's <laughs> probably something to do with travelling in the middle of a train strike, which is, you know... The best time to planning. travel. The best time to travel. The best time to travel, because I ended up getting refunds on first-class tickets, which is what we Ooh. love to see. Nice and comfy, free bacon sandwich, and free money. Well, not free, because I had to go fucking Manchester, but, you know, the more you know. <laughs> how are you doing? How, how, how is our guest? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm very happy. Happy because we have, once again, on this podcast, after it was supposed to be here for the Die Hard episode, but sadly... Things didn't come to... I don't even remember why we couldn't make it. It was just a weird time, beginning of the year for everyone. But now, finally, he's back. The one, the only, Jakub Flash, the founder of the Anka Gems podcast. How are you doing, man? You smell that? Do you smell that? It's podcasting, son. I love the smell of podcasting in the evening. <laughs> that's how I'm doing. Getting high on, on the podcast. Uh, happy to be here, boys. Yeah, we're so happy to have you. How are you doing? How's everything? How's life? We've missed you. Oh, you know, just working, parenting, podcasting. That's pretty much the... <laughs> and writing P's. a little bit. Just a, a writing a little bit. So there's a W in there. Yeah. That, uh, I, I, you know. <laughs> yes. thought about that as soon as I said it, yeah. Action <laughs> so, film blog is back. It's more active now. It's super good. Yeah, I'm subscribed yeah. to the sweet WordPress emails. So, so you know. Just don't miss keep... one. Yeah, so so I just I, I'm trying to kind of hone the craft so uh, the AI won't replace me. <laughs> it's all about fighting ChatGPT now. It so is, yeah. Prove you're better than it. Just yeah. embrace it, lads. Embrace it. Situation. No, I'm not embracing any of this. Like I'm, I'm happy ChatGPT is gonna just remove content from the internet, and what all will be will be left with is people with actual voices. Maybe this is my moment, Hopefully. and someone's going to actually tune in to read my five fifteen hundred word diatribes about would travis bickle vote for trump <laughs> it's and the answer is yes i read i read the 65 review and that put me off of ever seeing it so thank you for that that's good i mean yeah. although i gave it three out of five because the, the father-daughter drama kind of just like just made it bearable but just jesus christ this movie i mean if it was like longer any any long any any longer than like 93 minutes it would be just like no i'm out <laughs> yeah, I saw the trailer of it in front of John Wick. I was like, mm, yeah, I've read Jakob's review. You're not convincing me this is good. <laughs> or like, is at it... least worth it for the cinema. Yeah, no, it's not. No. 
Like I, I, like someone left the cinema. I was just like, you know, like I, I don't blame you, but you know, like I'm, 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 st- I'm sticking this out. <laughs> uh, but speaking of, of movies set in, in in the jungle, not with dinosaurs though. Um, today we're here. I love Brando. <laughs> well, that's a different type of dinosaur. You're right. You're right. Um, but last time. The good Randy Burroughs was on the pod to talk about Anne of Green Gables. You know, something with lighter, bit of a bit of a detour. We we deserve nice books sometimes, just about kind people, just wholesome, hopeful. Uh, usually they're the ones where you and isn't present. Just this is too light for me. Yeah, sorry, I was <laughs> it just coincidentally comes in. It was very <laughs> funny to me. I was like, man, whenever you and is like, yeah, let's do this drug book and this other drug book and this addiction story and this crime world. To be fair, <laughs> it's a, it's a recurring theme. <laughs> I have like an optimistic book. I just so happened to be out drinking that day. Um, I remember that, that, yeah, because the day you were recording it, I was at a gig in Manchester, um, and I'd had quite a lot of drink. It was a very good night. Uh, I got some sweat sprayed on me by the singer. What? Oh. What a treat! Oh. Need like a uh, an umbrella to protect oh, you. Oh <laughs> no! You got to lap it up. There's no water in that crowd. You got to oh. take the nourishment where you can get it. Thank if you, it Brad. had been a Rammstein concert, this possibly ah. wouldn't have been sweat. Ooh, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta re- relieve yourself, you know, in the heat of the moment. Just no time to take a break. I had the same experience at the sit-down gig I went to with Bob Dylan. Yeah, you just gotta when when the piss comes, you gotta piss. Well, like heart of darkness. <laughs> yes, today we're going on in a much darker direction, back on our regular schedule, you could say, <laughs> of, of classic uh, grim literature in some ways uh before we begin as always are you listening to us on spotify apple pod google pod maybe you're watching this in video format on youtube subscribe follow us leave a like five stars we hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope to have you back again in the future for more recordings now without further ado let's talk about joseph conrad's heart of darkness and francis for coppola's apocalypse now saigon I'm still only in Saigon. Every time I think I'm going to wake up back in the jungle. When I was home after my first tour, it was worse. I'd wake up and there'd be nothing. I hardly said a word to my wife until I said yes to a divorce. When I was here, I wanted to be there. When I was there... All I could think of was getting back into the jungle. I'm here a week now, waiting for a mission. Getting softer. Every minute I stay in this room, I get weaker. And every minute Charlie squats in the bush, he gets stronger. Each time I looked around, the walls moved in a little tighter. Heart of Darkness is an 1899 book written by Joseph Conrad. It tells the story of Charles Marlowe, who is tasked by an ivory company to go in the heart of the African continent to find Kurtz, a man who was working for the company who's apparently been lost to badness and to the African heat. Yakub, what are your thoughts with Heart of Darkness? And what's your oh. history with it? I, I don't think this was your first time reading it. I, I, no, I don't think it was I've... for either one of us. So what was it like reading it the first time? How was it like revisiting it for this pod? 
I've re- I've read it like a number of times actually. Oh. Um, and it's actually and it's weird because I don't really like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I read it first like when I was, I was I don't know sixteen years old something like this, because uh, it was like an extracurricular reading at school. So I was just mm. like, yeah, let's just let's let's just um, let's just pack this in because we were doing large gym at school I think at the time, and I think it was just like, yeah, let's just add an, add another one because like I, I hate my life a little bit more because I really. Like I really don't drive with with Joseph Conrad's writing, and by the way, just shout out to the Polish team because you know, like the guy was a he's he's one of, one of the finest voices in English literature who actually had to learn English. So, so he, for me, he would he, like even though I really hate reading his stuff, <laughs> I kind of feel, see him as a kind of like a personal hero in a way because it's just like you know you don't have to be like a native speaker to actually make it <laughs> to be sort of you know appreciate it so maybe i do have a shot so you know yeah. like flash on film.com is where you want to go <laughs> it's the joseph Conrad of the 21st century that yeah because like my stuff i hope it reads much better than uh than heart of darkness which is kind of just like i think my like every time i read it it kind of just feels like you're just reading like it, it feels like you're walking through like a tarry swamp mm. you know and i've I, and i think and i remember that this is for like on purpose <laughs> like the, 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 the experience of reading this book is like trying to go through walk through a jungle right <laughs> but it's not helping and then i read it again when i was i think in my 20s after reading a stephen king's on writing i think he mentions this as one of his favorite books of all time or whatever so i'm like i need to yes. give it another another shot and it still didn't help me right <laughs> So I read it the third time, and I mean, for this show, I read just half of it and decided, like you know, I I just need to listen to it instead. I think it will be easier. So I was just driving to and from work because I have like an hour commute each way. I'm in the car, so I was just listening to it, which is a phenomenal experience. By the way, you like stop at a red light, and with your like window rolled down, and then this guy with this sort of voice just says, "How does describes a black guy being beaten?" And I'm just like. And then there's these people giving you looks, and I'm just saying, I'm gonna roll my windows up and uh, like marinate in my own sort of racist book in here. <laughs> just, I don't know. just writing down your license plate, like mm, this guy, you know. Mm. I was just like, you don't understand. This is a work of historical fiction. Like you don't get it, but you know. So like my history of this is a little bit patchy. So I like I appreciate this book more than I like it, and I don't really like it. <laughs> so. So, uh, oh, like in, in terms of initial impressions, like I feel like this is—it's not a book for me. Although, it, it, like, it's—it—it's—it it's, it sent me again in, into this rabbit hole of, um, like, reading up on Belgian colonial period. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, like a few years back, I remember I reviewed for Clapper this documentary called Af- African Apocalypse, where these guys were retracing, um, um, I think this French dudes like some general who went mad who may have been potentially like a um, some kind of a inspiration for Kurtz who actually went and started just genocidally murdering tribes somewhere in the in, up the river Congo wow. uh, and they went they went uh, and investigated this and then just looked up the history of a French and Belgian colonialism and it's just it's nuts you know so yeah so I appreciate it sent me on this rabbit hole of investigating history that's not really, really taught in schools very well. Mm-hmm. But the experience of reading this book is like I wouldn't really wish it on my worst enemy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so put it that way. Like I know it's important for every, and it's like with the the most important books in in, in in written in English language by a Polish guy, by the way. 
So, but but it, it ain't for me, Chief. So, <laughs> very fair, very 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 fair. Um, how about you, you? And I believe this wasn't the first time for you as well. Right? No, this this was um, familiar. Th- this was the first book I read in 2020 when there was a whole lockdown on for that oh, whole wow. that virus problem. Um, and that was when I got back into reading. And then you know, months down the line, we started this podcast. So it's Heart of Darkness's fault that we're here right now talking about it. Um, yeah, but I mean, the first time I read it, it was like, oh, that's a very, you know, it's a very important text, like Jakob touched on there. It's like, it's very integral. It's, it's a very historic book. Um, and on the second reading, I couldn't give a shit. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it, it's all right. It's fine. Yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> um, I feel like it, it, a lot three of Three out of five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a three out of five. <laughs> Joseph Conrad's sort of, I mean, like, it's a very important text, yes, granted, but it, it does stem from the few moments that people remember, the horror, the horror, etc., the steamboat breaking down. The message and the theme is stronger than the writing itself, which, like Jakob said, is like walking mm. through a swamp, and may, intentional or not, when you get into the flow of it and you're really enjoying it, and it's the bit where it's building up to who Kurtz was, and he's asking around the camp, it's like, who is he, what does he do, and everybody shies away from it, and then it just throws another stumbling block in place, and it's like, right, well, back out we go. Um, and I get it, it's like from the perspective of a guy telling a story to people that are probably quite bored of listening to him. Um, it, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's fine, it's alright, yeah. It's written in the style you would expect of the turn of the year, 18th to 19th century. Century? 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 It would be the um, t- turn of the 20th century, no? <laughs> yeah, that's the one I meant, yeah. You can that... tell Matt is my strong suit. Or history either. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's like it's an obviously dated text, which is great. I do like a good oldie. Um, but this one, just regardless of the time it was written, is going to be a very jilted piece, a very janky piece. And it's a shame as well, because the sort of the, the, the meat and potatoes of it is a really, really strong story. Obviously, a lot of parallels between, you know, Africa and London in the book, and there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of good stuff in there. It's just a shame it was written by a man that was writing like a tit. Um <laughs> Because I, I, I mean, I, I bought an Astromo. I bought a really nice hardback of it, uh, like a couple of months ago. And rereading Heart of Darkness made me realize I've made a mistake in buying that very nice hardback. <laughs> um, I don't think I'll power through it anytime soon, but it's it's there on the shelf somewhere. It's like a really nice, uh, like not a special edition, but like the the ones that they sell in Waterstones. Like the fancy mm-hmm. ones, it's like oh, I'll treat myself like a Penguin Classic or <laughs> like a Penguin Classic, but like the the black and white. Special editions. Um, I'll Hard get the name. And all. It might be. Um, what was if it? Someone's doing well. It probably cost like nineteen ninety nine. I think this one was. Uh, to be fair, I had Waterstones discount where it was like the wow. I had money on my. Ca- I'm not going to cry. It's not going to splash out on a hardback of a book I've never read. If oh, I'm not made Waterstones and of all places as well. <laughs> it's like a ten percent markup already over my Waterstones is. It's pretty feral these days. Um, what was it? it but you I'm gotta go find. and buy books at Waterstones if you want them to actually survive. Because you know, like you have to shop, you have to spend money. Because you know, support the libraries, not uh, support. Support your local libraries. Support your local bookshops. It was buy uh, physical media. Buy local. Shop local. Because <laughs> shop in your local grocery store. Because you know, like you're like maybe the tomatoes a, a pound more expensive, but it sponsors the little girls' dancing classes. I live in the middle of fucking nowhere. We don't have anything like that. We just have chains. The it's closest coffee shop for me is at Greg's. Or if I'm feeling a bit adventurous, I can go to the petrol station, which has a Bean Company coffee machine. Fantastic. Um, it was a an Everyman's Library classic edition. 
Oh, cool. um, I've never heard of those. I will be putting on eBay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the has ended. If anybody would like it for five ninety nine. It's mint um, condition. Can I add a, a, a little corollary to what you're just saying, just yeah. quickly? Sure. I've discovered that having this this guy, because I also tried to read Secret Secret Agent, and that's yeah. also like, I mean, I know it's just like, oh, you know, like Heart of Darkness is written like a, like you're supposed to walk through a swamp. Like all of this stuff is written like you're walking through a stomp, swamp. <laughs> so, but it works when it's read to you in an audiobook form, especially when it's written when it's read by an old man. It works because it's kind of like an old guy telling you a story and the story is just really freaky and creepy. Because <laughs> this, in, Especially when it's read in this sort of like monotone voice, like there's this guy smoking a pipe and talking about this, these black men being tortured. And, and then it's just, and you just like, I don't know, it just puts you in this sort of hypnosis of like in this phantasmagoria, it's ridiculous. It, this is the that it works like that, but if you actually have to just use your own eyes to do this, <laughs> do it yourself, on right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a challenge. I have to second everything that you both said. Um, the first time I read it, I think it was in 2020 or like early 2021, but I had a copy of it for years. I remember going to, to my local bookshop and they were having a full discount day, and I remember seeing. They had like a two for one type of deal on some of those books. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what the other book was, um, but they had this collection of free stories by Conrad, and it was Heart of Darkness, The Typhoon. I don't remember the third one. I was trying to look at my library, but it's actually in another room. <laughs> this location of the book, so I don't remember what the other third stories. So, Lord Jim or Nostromo? I one of the two. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it was Nostromo. I would remember that. Um, Maybe the inheritors, you know, who knows? Maybe. Some of the titles are different in Italian. It's going to anyway. be a left of field one. It's going to be like the Rover or something. It's going to be somewhat weird towards the end of his career. Oh, it's going to be a name be of the Rover, actually. It's going to be a name of the ship anyway. <laughs> That's how he loved he was, it. He was very fond of ships. It really? Yeah. There are recurring themes in his uh, bibliography for sure. Yeah. But. I, I absolutely loathed the book the first time I read it. It was so, so hard to get into it. Um, in Italian, may I say as well. It's not like it was already in the English language. It was only my in my native language. It was a struggle, a struggle to get through it. But for this podcast, that's, that's one of the things that I really try to do in general. I do it for movies. I try to do it for books as well, as long as they're in English or a language I speak. Um, I try to read them in the original format. So it was like... This is the time. <laughs> this is the day to actually read it in English. And like you, Jakub, it took me one chapter to say, nope, no, not the book it is. <laughs> <laughs> I just got myself a nice subscription to Storytel. It's High beautiful. Five. <laughs> <laughs> 2.75 hours long, listened at like 1.5 speed, something like that. I was like, mm, perfect. You know, just walking around doing shit. Mm, excellent. 2.75 hours. I, guess I found one that was four hours long. It was like probably read by an old guy. Like it was great. <laughs> oh, I speed it up. I'm all about speeding things up. I cannot oh, focus on Netflix. Savor it. Oh. You, yeah. The man was wearing white and he just looked resplendent in this sea of brown and mud. And just, and you just, as I'm taking a right turn <laughs> <laughs> or just overtaking on the M40, like, ding, ding, dickhead, look in the mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, the pacing of it, I imagine the audiobook was a lot better because I, I was stuck with paper. And it's it's kind of ironic when you've got stuff like I strolled rapidly with clenched fists, and then it takes another paragraph to get to his destination. It's like I, it's just little things like that. Really I kept just 
drifting away out of this. Like I'll just like read and I'll just start thinking about anything else. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just like, I'm still on the same page. Like what's happening? It's been like, like half an hour. <laughs> it's been like half an hour. And I'm just like, and people are just like, shut off the, or get off the pot. And I'm just <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> and people are wondering like because i'm like at work just like quickly just stepping out to the loo and then just like occupying myself for five minutes and it's like 30 minutes because i started daydreaming while trying to read out <laughs> of darkness and people think i haven't constipated at work just Very stood in a cubicle not even sat just stood in a cubicle clenched fist just seething at how boring it can get I mean, this would have been a, a, a different sort of level. Just like go and read a book while having a piss. Just hold the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I could probably do that. I mean, I would have done it for Hearts of Darkness, but I probably would have drifted off. Um, <laughs> just fell in the loot. <laughs> oh no, it's ruined. Oh well, oh, yes, no. I'm not oh, reading no. this anymore. <laughs> Such a tragedy. What am I gonna do now? Anyway, Nicola, it's a shame. <laughs> it's an absolute shame because I, I agree with what you said, you and the fact that, and, and you as well, Jakub, like, there are important themes in here. It is definitely an historically relevant book to this day, um, influential for multiple reasons, but it's a struggle. It's a proper struggle to get through it. And listening to it in audio format kind of improved things. Um, I previously had it on Goodreads at two stars, and now it's uh, three stars. But even then, like it was interesting reading some of the other reviews compared to other classics that we've talked about, even going back to like Charles Dickens and and the like from um, Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights, like those books from the from the 19th century and the end of the of that period. Like this one is still controversial. Not so not only for its content, because of course we'll get into that. Uh, that's a bit controversial again, but primarily for the way it's written, for the way it's structured, it's it's dull. It's just a little bit dull. You know, I think there's something that's something that I've kind of figured out. I like I like poetic cinema, you know, I like getting lost in the beauty of the of the image and all that. Oh no, no dialogue's amazing, it's beautiful, it's perfect. I cannot read poetic books it's or not books poetic, that, though. or or just, it's... you know, very richly uh, richly worded and and layered phrases where it's like oh there's so much context and meaning to each sentence and it's so carefully planned uh it's a, it's very heavy there are books that i've read like that that are still enjoyable this one is very heavy and 19th noticed... century is not for you then because they're all like that <laughs> there was they were very fond of just three paragraphs on what the field looked like well to be fair i didn't Can like you just Dickens, please <laughs> I did not like Dickens. Uh, I did like Bronte sisters. Bronte sisters are cool in my book. Jane Austen is cool in my book. But those are also more populist <laughs> novels. By women, so they had other things they needed to do. <laughs> so we're just like, let's quickly write this up. So coming. <laughs> it's also not a populist novel, which I think is also key to to Art of Darkness. Like this is made by a man who had a lot of things to say about the time that he was living in the a world that he <laughs> and a lot of time on his hands. And a lot of time was just so much time on his hands um speaking of time this is a novel that sprawls you know months on this very very deep journey through the through the african continent you know as as we've mentioned mr marlowe here sees the worst in humanity the worst in people um and one of the key themes one of the key elements of this that kind of will translate over to the francis for coppola movie are the elements of imperialism and just the the banality of evil 
like you mentioned it, Jakub, briefly, that the fact that amongst the various things that he witnesses, there is a lot of torture of of uh, of indigenous people and 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 Africans by the hands of you know is, is Belgians and Dutch yes. like the Belgians. Belgians. Those, are, those are Belgian colony, like the, one of the last places on earth that hasn't been claimed by anyone because everyone who tried got either, either <laughs> murdered by the natives <laughs> or the people or people would decide like you know what it's too difficult let's just let's let's just go and explore different parts of the map it was like you know like oh this is this is too high level area let's go elsewhere you know <laughs> yeah pretty much and it, it's it's this is one of those things I'm interested actually in hearing from you because again, as I mentioned previously, a lot of people have problems with the portrayal of Africans in this book. It's and not a lot of people, just like a few academics. Most people are kind true. of like okay with it. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, actually, no, it's, I like to address those things. It's always good. It's always good to put it out there. Um, but I do definitely think that it's interesting. Um, you were even saying it, Yahoo, in the way that. You know, all of the, the way the book is narrated and told through first person as Marlowe is older and aged and jaded even about the state of the world, kind of recounting what he lived through when he was a bit younger through this exp- life-changing experience. You are witnessing the world through his eyes. So mm-hmm. even all of the words that he uses to describe these people and even some of the racial slurs, which sadly were just, not to excuse it, but it was a product of its time as well. but. I don't think I don't I don't see it primarily as you know convertible necessarily racist piece of shit, but you know that's definitely part of the character at least how he viewed the world. How do you feel about that? And also just the, this whole portrayal of of Africa as this dangerous, uncivilized continent that you know the the Western and has to change this theme of imperialism. You know, in this case, it was the the ivory merchants that you know started to gain more and more power, destroying all tribes and uh, murdering dozens dozens of animals just to get you know pelts and get some 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 luxury items to sell back in the old England and the Belgium and the Netherlands and so on. But what do you think, Jakub? Oh, <laughs> I, was I was wondering who, who are you going to call to the uh, to the t- uh, to, to the front of the class? Tension. <laughs> like, mm, no, who's losing but, focus right now? <laughs> by the way, just just to quickly put in perspective the opening gambit as well for all of us. Like for anyone who hasn't read the book, this book is like 120 pages long, and we're making it look like this is like 1200 or 12 <laughs> 1200 pages, sort of like big sort of Bible epic. No, oh, no. It's, a, it's a novella, I think. It's, it qualifies three as a novella, right? It has three chapters. <laughs> okay. And this is like, I, I, I can't find proof, but I, I I thought either I heard or read an interview with Stephen King who actually referred to this as the longest novella ever written. And I can't find proof to corroborate this. So I'm just doing what politicians do. I'm just going to assume now that <laughs> this is now on the record and this is what's happened, but I don't have proof, so don't quote me on that. Anyway, Sounds like a Stephen King thing to say. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like a Stephen <laughs> King thing to say, but I can't find proof to corroborate that it's just like it lives in my memory and i don't know how but anyway um on the sort of colonialism theory i think the thing and the controversy as well like it kind of needs to be addressed because i think a lot of people a lot of critics of the book i mean i'm not a fan of the book for just how difficult it is to read but like the Mm. content wise i find it just immensely fascinating both as a product of because any book written back in time even if it's fictitious or not 
um, is some kind of a time capsule for us, right? It's so because you kind of get to get to interrogate the perspective of the time, maybe the milieu, the you know the, the zeitgeist of the time. You get to kind of interact with people from the past a little bit, and I think people who are criti critical of Joseph Conrad and actually actively calling him a, a racist, I mean, this has been debunked and then has been mm -hmm. has been actually criticized back as saying. These people are conflating the character and the author because nowadays, especially nowadays, it's almost frowned upon if writers assume a different perspective than their own. Like it used to be just natural that say a man would write a book from the perspective of a woman and no one would bat an eye. And the other way around, like a woman would write a book and then and the main character would be a man and she would inhabit his set, headspace and then she would write, write from his perspective and it would work. Right, but now nowadays it's kind of just like no, you you st stick with your own, okay? <laughs> so so by by this token, I think people some people will make an assumption that if he's describing certain things in a very um, I don't want to say nonchalant, but um, in a very sort of detached, um, very cold, very cold manner, because mm -hmm. like, there's I think this is where this this thing kind of comes to a head where you, you, you hear this and I heard because I, I listened to the book this time <laughs> you hear these descriptions or you read these this very detached dehumanized description of absolute utter violence of racist violence right then you may actually make an assumption is the author detached as well does he not care I mean maybe he cares because like if you actually pull back and you, and you see like he's he's disgusted by it he's but he's equally, um, like you have to remember, you're reading a book from the turn of the century, the fin de siècle. People were kind of sort of checked out with humanity at the time as well. So, so I think you kind of have to just filter this, this through through that perspective and, and see this. Okay, well, this guy's criti critical of of what he's seeing. He's just completely, um, you know, he's. He, he's lost his faith in humanity. So what do you want him to do, right? Do you want him to go and just charge at these people and say, like, no, you stop doing that. Now he's essentially, he's ready to give up. He's ready to slit his own wrists if, he, if you gave him a razor, as far as I'm concerned. So, but then in doing so, you kind of, through the eyes of um, Christopher Marlowe, whom you, can, you, could, you could imagine that Joseph Conrad's own experiences are also kind of embedded in there so this is something that he had seen he had witnessed and he just thought to himself people people have been doing this to other people you know because he wasn't um, uh, a captain of a steamboat in there like he uh, he went to the congo he was hired by this english company just traveling up up and down the river and he witnessed this and then he actually had there are these little nuggets and it's, it's difficult to actually just pay attention because it's difficult to pay attention to the book but he actually makes these comments of like he looks at compares like english colonialism almost and he sees it as positively benign in comparison right and mm -hmm. because what belgians were doing in the congo it's it like it makes the nazis look tame you know Okay, yeah. it's ridiculous, right? What 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 happened in Africa in there? Because like they were just like he says, like this is conquest. This is not. He, he almost said this is not colonialism where they were just like establishing an industry or something like this. Even though the colonialism, as as he sees being benign, it's still quite cruel, right? But then he sees like so. If you imagine in comparison, if he sees this, what what's happening as cruel, and then it it's it's nuts, right? So I would say. 
it kind of just opens this perspective towards a world that it's like some people kind of like not to be mentioned mm-hmm. <laughs> so the and then it kind of just comes back to the fact you know like belgians didn't have any colonies and they really they really thought they really needed to be to be in this game so they did it at all costs and then he has this sort of line in the book saying like well uh if like what like you're not powerful if, if you think you're powerful just because your adversary is weak you're not really powerful you're just this is what you're doing is is, is just reckless conquest um so he looks at these people with this with disdain he detests these belgian colonials and, and mm-hmm. he he detests what, what they're doing because he sees like this is not right like you're not treating these people right like what are you people doing not but treating these people as people <laughs> yeah exactly like he like just what are you what are you people up to like he just like he he would be essentially the equivalent of like i don't know he if he was driving a truck into auschwitz right and he was just like what is happening but then you can okay well feel free to criticize and it's like why is he driving a truck in there why is he not deciding like you know what i'm gonna stop now like i'm gonna go home right well, well fair enough you, you, you open you're you, i think you're you'd be in, within your rights to criticize this but you know like it is what it is Right, you know, he's on a mission. He has some. He's gonna have a payout. No. Yeah, he. I mean, at least I mean, suppose like he came back. He went back and told the tale, but then I. I suppose people. I don't know. I wouldn't go and argue with people who just say like, "Well, why didn't he, you know, do something about it?" Well, you know, not everyone's a hero. If you think you'd be a hero, if you if you lived in 1942 and occupied Poland, you'd be a hero. Like, think again. You probably wouldn't be a hero. Yeah. So uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. So it's, it's, it's the equivalent as well as sort of like fly on the wall documentarians today. Mm-hmm. It, are they going to get leveled mm. the same criticism for observing and not getting involved and, and reporting? Just re- and reporting, like, why? Yeah. Why are you not shooting at these people you're interviewing? Well, and many like are. Yeah. I mean, some people are, but like most people are not brave enough to do that. They'll just be. They're brave enough to actually go go up to them and speak to these people. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if you've seen. The look of silence or um the act of killing for instance like where you have documentarians actually going up up close and personal to mass murderers and then and acting asking them really uncomfortable questions yeah <laughs> so yeah it takes real courage to do that and then it's like what do you what else do you want to do sometimes <laughs> what, it's more important as well i mean you think of sort of war reporters like marie colvin who mm-hmm. observed and then reported and did not involve themselves they they are not personally neutral but in that period, in that context, they have to be to get to the root of the story to inform people. And I'm not, I'm not saying Heart of Darkness is like the the best informative piece out there, but it certainly highlights a lot of that horror, and it mm-hmm. does it articulately, and it does it obviously long windedly. Like we said, it's it's only hundred odd pages, it's, but it's it almost on purpose to just nightmare. let you stew in this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's it's the gamble he takes where it's like, okay, make it long winded, make it really stick in the mind that this is excruciating. It's painful for everybody involved. The downside of that is that it's not particularly interesting in spots, but when it does hit on those moments of the torture of imperialism, by the way, I'm very glad that you left the Englishman last to talk about imperialism. Um, (laughs) 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 Totally on purpose. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry about that, lads. It won't happen again. Um, but a lot, a lot of the latter stages of the book, when you actually find that Kurtz has gone, you know, a bit doolally, are the sort of consequences of it. I don't think you need to have a straightforward. Oh, this is bad because 
obviously it's bad. Of course it's bad. Anybody that's read it and has cognitive abilities can understand that that is bad. Of course it's bad. You don't need to have it handheld and sort of observed that the writer thinks it's bad, therefore you should think it's bad. So I think in hindsight... <laughs> Could you, you know, imagine someone reads this and you're like, this, these Belgians were awesome people. It's, it's like <laughs> the Hunger Games and thinking, well, I, I, just, I just don't know what to feel about this one, lads. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of... I mean, a lot of the stuff I've read this year, it's very lacking in that hand-holding, and I appreciate that more than something that's sort of representing what the author feels. I mean, Trainspotting is a decent example, where it's like it's obviously in mm-hmm. line with a thought of, well, aren't drugs bad? But it does well to sort of alleviate that and look at the Just say no. Side of it. Yeah, know? Reagan had it right, probably. <laughs> a little Thatcher. Yeah, but as far as the sort of, I mean, like like I mentioned earlier, it was kind of the comparison between Africa and London. They saw no difference between the civilized and the so-called savages, where it was sort of there was mm-hmm. no difference. There kind of still isn't because that's critique, right? Is it not? Yes, yeah, of course it's a critique. It's a thematic critique, and it's just not blatantly in everyone's faces because he's actually showing <laughs> the torture, the horror, the the inconvenience of it. I suppose um, the real, genuine drama comes from. Not the perspective that he wants to represent, but the perspective that he shows, and I don't mm-hmm. think you need a writer to really say it. Like it's 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 the equivalent of adding an asterisk at the end and putting in a footnote. By the way, I don't think this is right. It, it's the exact equivalent. <laughs> I mean, this, maybe this is the uh, maybe this is the modern reader just requires the sort of like, well, it has to be respelled out for you. Like there have yeah. to be violence in the background and so sort of like. And it has to start with like racism, bad, okay? You know, yeah. just like I think we, we get it. It's the equivalent of the do not try this at home warning before the yeah. Jackass movie yes. starts. Contents what? may be hot. Yeah. Jesus. Please like, do not broadcast this on MTV before 10 p.m., lads. Thank you. Um, but no, it's, it's obviously based on his experiences. Just because it's based on his experiences doesn't mean it has to be based on his opinion as well. Um, yeah. There's a lot to be said for um, the brevity of it. Which is very short, pretty, very quick. The brevity is um, inexistent. It is short. It's not. It the is brevity short, but... is not a right word. <laughs> I was trying to think <laughs> of the right word. It was. Um, it's kind of the, the discipline that he shows in not presenting it as. <laughs> oh my god! Isn't it terrible? Isn't it awful? It's just a matter of fact. It happened, and it it happened for a horribly long time. Um, I imagine that people at the time were also equally as horrified, but now people are horrified that oh my god, you can't you can't write that word down. You can't not say it's a bad thing. It's it's it's. it's I'm not defending it as a text because it is a really boring read sometimes. But as far as the it succeeds in what it wants to do, it succeeds in critiquing a horrible, horrible part of history, mm-hmm. um, which is the aim of it. I suppose at the end of it, yeah. it, it is the aim of it. Partially, I suppose. Partially at least, right? Yeah, I think he's. he's he, I think he's going a bit further and and just uh, interrogating almost the. Uh, humanity of, of it as in like what are we doing as a species if we yes. can let this thing happen why are we even allowed to be here is there a god in here again fern de siècle is the god is dead why why are we are we allowing this to happen christ like this is the the book this is heart of darkness darkness yeah. the, the abridged version you know yeah. yes but he didn't explicitly tell me that so how am i meant to believe it <laughs> <laughs> yes. and then he did use the n-word at least seven times in it so that he definitely is a racist i mean like well that was the language of the time and he's yeah. and, and he's doing this so nonchalantly just to make just to almost drive a point home that you know what yeah that was 
these people didn't care. Nobody did. I didn't know how to bring this bit up because I used to listen to the audiobook, but um, in the actual the book, because I'm old and I still read, um, every paragraph starts with a speech mark. Just little details like that. Really nice. Every single part of it. Like it is literally a bloke telling a story. Because Marlowe is telling this to yeah. someone in a room, yeah? Is he on a board or is he in a room? Uh, well, it's in a cabin. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere. A, yeah. On some, yeah, they're on, on a the boat street. somewhere on the on like parked up somewhere on the Thames in London. Yeah, it's the best place to have a nice conversation with someone and hear oh, stories of old. Really not. Uh, Apparently, you're not allowed to drink Thames water. Well, I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, you can boil it. Bear Grylls used to boil water. Oh, jeez. Probably not Thames water. I hope so. At least that's a true challenge right there to survive. Um, but even then, it was very interesting. I, I completely forgot actually that they were contemporaries. But at the same time of of Conrad's writing, there was also another similarly experienced but also more romantic writer, which is uh, Rudyard Kipling. Kipling. <laughs> I don't always say Kipling. <laughs> Rudyard Kipling, um, who most famously wrote the Jungle Book. But he was more of an adventure writer. You know, he kind of uh, I would say glorified. Uh, the British government and their colonial empire, uh, but he definitely, you know, he was born in India. He, 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 he wrote in, in in the United Kingdom, and they were kind of rivals. I didn't even know about that, but yes, they were rivals writing at the same time, and they had very different goals. And Kipling was primarily to entertain and to show these different cultures from our own. But there is always this, you know, this different mindset. I would say in the way that he approached his stories. Mm. That's this that's a subject for another podcast if we were to do the jungle book and, and similar. <laughs> I mean he was more pro-imperialist as in like, like look at the good we're doing, spreading yes. the word of Christ. Look at the red coats in just shiny and bright um don't mind the killing over here. Mm. Look at here. <laughs> look just smell the tea. The sugar coating <laughs> is is one way to <laughs> to put it. Just, that's good. Just, by the way, doing. just uh, like when when you were speaking, you're saying like, "Oh, Kurtz went dulali." It's just like a very nice sort of turn of phrase because I think this is a phrase invented by Rudyard Kipling, right? It all comes together, isn't that? It all swings around. Please tell me, is it to go dulali? Is this is from like Kipling's book? Please tell me. I've never read Kipling. I've never. Never read them at all, but yeah, sure it is. Yeah, and actually, I think I did it. because I remember the results. Actually, very funny enough, there is Salgari, an Italian writer who's written primarily adventure books, and he was someone who basically read Kipling and Conrad and other writers from the time who actually saw some of these exotic locales, and he created fictional characters based on you know what he read and other and the pictures that he saw, which is very interesting to just how much you know, other cultures are romanticized by Westerners. You know, we're talking about India, we're talking about China, we're talking about Africa, like all those places that felt so alien, especially in, in the era of of the Industrial Revolution. You know, like things were become, like all the entire world was getting smaller and smaller. And so there is still this appeal of, you know, oh my God, we're getting, we're going to Congo. <laughs> Just, this, is, this is so far away. This is still like uncharted territory. Once you get there, you know, it's uh, this need to control everything. It's it, it shines through in 
in Heart of Darkness, which is what something that I appreciate. And even all of the musings on on evil and just people doing it and losing touch from reality and becoming desensitized to it. And it's just there and it's so it's it's not beautiful, it's not powerful, it's not cathartic, it's just ugly. Just mm-hmm. ugly in multiple facets. I again that's what is a, that's what's so frustrating about Heart of Darkness, because you're talking about it and we're talking about it. Just, this is so interesting, but then the actual act of reading it is pain. Uh, which is a shame, I think. Did you find the quote, Jakub? Um I did find um it turns out it, I think Rudyard Kipling is may not have may not be accredited for invention of it, but it originates from the British Army slang from the time. Oh, there you go. He's uh, good pals. So, if like from like the British so British station somewhere in um, like in India as well. So it kind of just, it, it it fits the <laughs> mm. uh, sort of the the sort of the the region and the and the time of where Roger Kipling and, and and others would be there. But I think it's not it cannot be attributed to Roger Kipling. So like apologies to the listeners who actually think that I know something that I don't. Our hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> we no, were ready to throw under the bus. <laughs> would have been poetic. Max, just like oh, just. Conrad's describing a guy who went to Lali and it's just like, and then it would, be, would have been perfect because they didn't really see eye to eye with Kipling on, on many Close things. Close enough. Close enough. Still fun. Still fun. Con- almost fun. Almost connection. Um, but speaking of fun, you know, we we talked a lot about this book, which is very interesting thematically, but maybe not the, the most entertaining read. Uh, but thankfully, someone did read the book, and they thought, ah. You know what? This this can be something different. This is this, amazing. This, this is amazing. I, I love it. There's so much <laughs> richness here. And I just I'm, I'm I'm so in love with it. I kind of want to make my own version of it. Uh, unofficial adaptation, changing some things up, updating the setting to his modern times. This man was Francis Ford Coppola, who after the height of Godfather, Godfather Part Two. Uh, and the conversation, it was like, you know what? I'm at the top of the world, baby. Let's like, I'm gonna make this war epic that's going to criticize an ongoing conflict that's slowly going coming to an end. And I'm going to spend all the money in the world to make it, endangering the lives of cast and crew, uh, endangering his own life and that of his family, almost losing his mind, shooting for months and months and months on end in the Philippines and Cambodia. And that finally, after you know, almost a year, over a year of editing together with good old Walter Merck, we got Apocalypse Now, premiered at Cannes, all the 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 Palm d'Or, nominated at the Oscars, and it's now considered one of the greatest war films of all time. Yuan, what do you think? Is this actually one of the greatest films, war films of all time? Is it is it a good adaptation, a translating Heart of Darkness? into the Vietnam War. What do you think? What are your thoughts? What's your history with this film, Apocalypse Now? Yeah, it's all right. Uh, no, three it's, out of five. Three stars. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Three stars. Let's... No, uh, Apocalypse Now is genuinely one of my favorite movies ever. Hey. I, I absolutely, absolutely love it. Um, I've seen it loads of times. Uh, I studied the Vietnam War when I was doing my GCSEs, which, horrifyingly enough, was eight years ago now. <laughs> Which is scary, but I thanks for that. <laughs> Twenty three <laughs> youngsters in your GCSEs eight years ago, Jesus. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I've watched it a lot of times, and then I've, obviously I've watched the documentary to go along with it, Heart's Darkness, Filmmakers Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. 
both beautiful, beautiful films. Um, as far as it goes, specifically in the adaptation of a text into the modern times, well, at least modern at the time, really, really successful, really, really powerful stuff. Um, how much of it is drawn from Coppola himself and how much of it is actually drawn from Heart of Darkness, I'm not too sure. The concept is there, like the, the fundamental narrative of a man seeking out another man because mm-hmm. they have gone either mad or are in power and can help is there. Um, beyond that, though, it's it's a lot of scathing criticisms, a lot of huge explosives, it's a lot of contemporary at the time. Adaptations of weird moments in Vietnam history, like the Playboy helicopter and the sort of little bits and pieces that came through. Um, and you can tell that the man has lost his mind. Because, uh, I, I mean, I've seen, I think I've seen all the versions of Heart of Darkness now. Uh, Apocalypse all three of them, all impressive. Yeah. Um, there are certain cuts that clearly show the man had lost the plot. There are certain <laughs> work very, very well. There are certain cuts, like the the former mentioned there, that have that French bit in about the colonies, which is, from a historic standpoint, really impressive. From a narrative standpoint, very confusing. Um, but it's nice to see that he was trying to keep in line with the, sort of the actual history of the Vietnam War, the French and the, the removal of them, and then the American um, invasion in the 60s. And it's, it's all there. It's all there. But crucially, so is Conrad's sort of vision, his image, and that sort of damnable process of nobody's better than the other in warfare. These are all sick people. They are all, Mm. for one reason or another, killing each other. And it's quite stark and it's quite staggering. Um, There isn't as much sort of violence as I first remembered, though. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of brutal, bloody bits and pieces, but a lot of it is the spectacle. A lot of it, you know, the helicopters flying over as Robert Duvall's talked about napalm in the morning the, <laughs> um, the bit where you actually pull up to kurtz's island is it kurtz or kuntz is it kurtz, I don't kurtz. Know. <laughs> kurtz. kurtz. <laughs> do you want to bleep it kurtz. <laughs> it's kurtz. an explicit show <laughs> i i genuinely <laughs> that, that wasn't even a bit i actually forgot his name so kurt, <laughs> colonel brando um when you first got to the island, it's, uh, Dennis, Dennis Hopper, do you want to take a moment just to process that one? Um, when Dennis Hopper's on the island, he sort of leaps out. There's just so many little bits that piece together for me that also piece together in the book, but not as well. I think mm-hmm. part of it for me is the kind of, you know, the pursuit of self-worth even, where he's, you know, he's going on this massive adventure and at some point loses the original purpose of it. The original purpose was to find a man and sort of put him to rest. And then it, it inevitably turns into this sort of journey of self-discovery and whether or not it's actually worth it. You know, the, the scene with Martin Sheen where he's drunk and he's slicing away at himself and screaming. It's just, it is madness. It's it's really just, I think I just like seeing people sort of break down in that way. Not in a sicko way, but in a kind of, I'm, I'm close, I'm getting He to was that. high as a kite when, yeah, when they were yeah. shooting it, right? So, just saying. That, was that before Very or drunk. after he had the massive heart attack? I think that was before. I don't, I don't know. Um, All the timeline is a jumbled mess. <laughs> oh, it's brutal. I mean, it's it's easy to see how, I mean, Coppola especially, obviously The Godfather 3 got that recut as well. Mm-hmm. He liked to go back to his work and just figure out what was going on in hindsight, because Apocalypse Now is he was high it, as a kite as well, wasn't he? Yes, he was also. The, you can was tell. Just like, Do I, did I shoot this? Wow, there's some extra footage I never knew I made. He just it's, stumbles into the plantation scene. What's this? Oh my. 
Oh, well, there's <laughs> a crash playboy helicopter. <laughs> yeah, sure, we can get five minutes out of that. Why not? Um, it, I watched this with my mate, and he said, "Oh, it's a bit, it's a bit like Tropic Thunder." It's like, no, not, not quite. Um, yeah, the guy's actually black. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, consider it's it's kind of like it's it's one of those, <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's, it's one of those, like Tropic Thunder. I'm just gonna power on through. <laughs> it's like one of it's it is one of those. <laughs> That's Platoon. Oh yeah, yeah. It's one of those perfect storm movies though, where it's right at the cusp of where the Vietnam War was starting to kind of slowly ebb out of American culture. It was still very prevalent. It was still very kind of, you know, Forrest Gump would revitalize it about a decade later, but 79, the turn of the century into the 80s, into the sort of Reaganomics era. Um, I mean, it's still pretty fairly entrenched in, oh, yeah, in the culture. Seven, like, there are people still like, if you... If, yeah. I mean, it came out the year after the Deer Hunter won. Mm. Infamously I mean, won. It almost feels things. like it's kind of at the, at the sort of sort of the pinnacle of the discussion about Vietnam and like the Americans pulled out of Vietnam and yeah. then the movie started coming like coming home it's the right time Deer to do Hunter, it I mean, the, the only and... modern equivalent is kind of like lockdown movies which are just so so fast to come out and are so so terrible there's not one good lockdown movie no you had things like after 9-11 you kind of had this sort of period of like okay well just people started just oh, like processing yeah. it through art and then you had the mo- movies about war in iraq like you had your hurt lockers and whatnot and they just world trade they, center <laughs> but yeah but then it takes a few years for these things to kind of just filter into the art or yeah. entertainment and or both i suppose predator yeah. is still the best vietnam war movie so doesn't matter um it's set in <laughs> south america but yeah don't worry about it, it was originally <laughs> written as a vietnam war film I thought you were going to say Return of the Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) He walks on the Viet Cong. (laughs) Symbolism right there. So is is Nixon Darth Vader then? He's the Emperor. I don't know who Darth Vader is in this. Gerald Ford. Kissinger. (laughs) (laughs) Redeem yourself. Does, it, does, that make, does that make George McGovern Luke Skywalker? I don't know how that sets. <laughs> Possibly. Anyways, yes, Apocalypse Now uh, is pretty good. Yeah. yeah. It's it's probably in my top 20. Like, wow. Okay. Like, it is. Ah, oh, I love it. I think it's amazing. It's I love one to of those, see that like, full 20 now. Oh, the I mean, the, the, the first spot always changes, but for the time being, it's either stop making sense or... Fear and Loathing? No, I'm not. Fear and Loathing doesn't crack the top 50, I don't think. Um, yeah, you're not scandalous for a Hunter S. Thompson fan. I mean, the books are filth. I, I do love filth. Filth's in the top 20, yeah, for sure. Hey. Trainspotting 2. I like my I like my filth. Trainspotting uh, 2? As in T2? Sorry, Trainspot as in tra- <laughs> As well. Ah, <laughs> we did Cheeky. there. Cheeky. <laughs> uh, I went through a period where I kept saying Trainspotting 2 was better than the first one. And then I got my head checked. Um, but... Like after blunt force trauma from someone who actually oh, yeah, I, I got pushed down a flight of stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, what what do you think of Apocalypse Now? Because I, I I've just assumed that we're all fans of it. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm I'm, I'm afraid of Jakub. Yeah, be like I don't I don't like horse. this. I it's don't a like this. film. What do you want? It's a, it's it's a one of the most important films possibly to ever come out of Hollywood. It's not too uh, bad then. 
It's not too. Uh, no, it's like for like I, like my gimmick was always that like in 1979, like people were just like, oh, you know, like Apocalypse Now was robbed at the Oscars because Kramer versus Kramer won. I'm like, have you seen Kramer versus Kramer? It's amazing, but just, but you know, um, no, just this movie. Bro- like I, I have it on my shelf and I can't watch it again because it broke my heart. Um, but you know, the, the way Dustin Hoffman looks at Meryl Streep at the end, it's just ah, oh, I can't. But anyway, it's a different film. <laughs> D- different not problem, based on a book right so we probably won't cover it i don't know but i think it was based on a book i don't know i can't tell you uh but oh, it's apo- all, yeah, of like, it's like apocalypse now it's it's like i don't know anyone who goes like oh it's terrible or it's uh, or it's mediocre like you, you watch this and like you kind of appreciate the grandeur of it of it all because it is uh yeah it, it, it is like a movie that like you'll never see a movie like this ever made again that's just <laughs> plain and simple the late 70s was the time when you could actually accomplish stuff like this possibly maybe early 80s i think fitz Coraldo is probably another one that's probably yes. almost a film that will break a man you know uh, like outside of the hollywood system i suppose yeah but then like in, in within the hollywood system like yeah. this is kind of like a big brother to sorcerer in many ways yes yes yeah like a movie that will affect that will just you, you know like you can see a filmmaker bitten way more than he could chew and he chewed it anyway and he's just like when just like uh, people were just like like francis can you please spit it out like you're not gonna swallow it and he's just like mm, I'm totally gonna swallow it <laughs> <laughs> then he chose, gonna wash it down some... and then he chose someone that, that someone just accomplishes the heimlich maneuver uh no sorry um uh the sort of the uh the, the abdominal thrust because it's a patented procedure so you can't say a, a heimlich maneuver without having to pay mr heimlich we're gonna uh, get sued yes he will get sued it's like the, oh, the no. let's get ready to rumble guy he owns the words let's get ready to rumble Oh, like, that's insane! Do you you know, the last time somebody said it was sev- several million dollars, he successfully sued them for. Yeah, because they said, "Let's get ready to rumble." This so, is informative. We'll be fine. Spreading uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. wisdom. So, so <laughs> this, is, this falls under fair use clause, right? But, but <laughs> uh, what I what I will say is just like I mean, when you do, when you were saying like this movie is not violent, have you watched this movie? Yeah, no, it's. <laughs> It's I mean, not, not bad. It's all right. It's not that, that's just every day in, it, in my town. It is gory. Now. It's just a, a lot of the a violence. Fest. A lot of the that's violence is not active. Yes, I would say. What it's... you see is like these sort of the long tracking takes of just hellscape of these like heads on spikes, body parts on trees. You don't even, like, and at some point, I think halfway through the movie, I even stop recognizing them anymore. You, they just blend into the environment. Like there's the pink and the green, they just mesh together, you know? The yeah. pink of the flesh. Just Like a branch is maybe just someone's torso. Yeah, but stuck. like... Like you have these, like when when the air, air cavalry just lands and like Duval kind of just goes in here and he just like with his cowboy sort of attitude of General Patton, I suppose mm-hmm. he just has this sort of like you know like he's everyone's crouching and he's standing up while mortar shells are flying and and then the camera just pans and you see like these body parts everywhere. There's this guy just full on saving Private Ryan, holding his own stomach in, and then. And it, okay, suppose this is when it affects you, and then later on when they're just traveling down the river, and then Martin Sheen's losing his shit just a little bit every 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 half a second. You stop acknowledging this anymore, and by the time you go into 
Curtis Lair, which is strewn with blood and gore and guts. Just it's just paved with human bodies. You don't even you don't even compute. Like you're just like this is just a building. Yeah, you're you're as as desensitized as the characters, yeah. which just which, lost touch. Yeah. So I suppose, like in terms of my general impressions on of the film, like you can't even go and say like, it's a, anything other than it's amazing, and I'm really happy this movie exists because you can't imagine this movie exists in the current climate. No one's going to spend this kind of money to allow mm-hmm. one one man to go and commandeer an army of, of people around him to actually put something like this together and fail at the box office at the same time, right? Because the world didn't care. I think maybe the world wasn't ready because he really he really struck a nerve, I think, with his portrayal of Vietnam because he didn't make a movie about Vietnam. He made a movie that was Vietnam, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, the production itself was a, an allegorical sort of, like an ironic sort of take on this is actually a, a, almost exactly a Vietnam as an, a mission that you think you can you can just go on and then succeed and you end up with your with your tail between your legs and then possibly quite a quite a few limbs sort of missing. So it, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating study on multiple levels and then also has a an adaptation of the Conrad's novel because it kind of does really. I don't know, contextualize the idea of going to war just as a concept, as something horrific that people potentially at the time didn't really connect the dots for, or maybe, or maybe they have they have a little bit forgotten that you know they were only like three decades removed from another war to end mm-hmm. all wars that also was sort of peppered very generously with atrocities, right? So, yeah. so in like. At, Long story short, TLDR, Apocalypse Now is amazing. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. well, just just on the violence quickly. I, I think what I meant was sort of the impact and the outcome of the violent acts is more important than the actual act itself, where sort of the fallout of it is shown more than the actual. Like you mentioned, Stephen Private Ryan, that's the perfect example. When you see people mm-hmm. getting mowed down on the beaches, it's, it's kind of a different picture to what you see in Apocalypse Now, where people are sort of. They they've already been gunned down. You're seeing them try and fucking pull their intestines back inside of themselves, mm-hmm. or like heads on spikes. It's the same actions, but with the, such a strikingly different impact. It's, it's it's amazing. It's bloody stunning. In the beginning, you see uh, there's this sort of raid, right? Like when they yeah. the helicopter yeah. guys, then they just try to land, and this woman just throws a grenade into the helicopter, and they just mow down the entire family. And then you kind of almost don't even notice because it's just superseded with other things quickly yeah but then there's the the violence ends up being removed like when they just order an airstrike and they just like napalm the entire forest jesus yeah. um for reals by the way oh. <laughs> right it jesus. kind of feels like how people actually experienced the war at home though you know you had all the cronkite as a news anchor at the time just sort of detailing it you know you you would get details you would get pictures you would not actually get the smell of napalm you would not get the sort of the 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 horror of actually being up close and personal to it. You would always see it through another lens. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's really well done. Mm-hmm. It's like you mentioned there, the sort of the gunning down of a family and then just straight into a bit with Harrison Ford. It's it's mad. But there are these little moments just on the violence as well. Like when they're operating on the guy no, they have this guy who's wounded, right? And he's screaming like like and then you wonder why and then they, they just cut open his his uh, the the leg of his um 
of a, of a under uh, well, of a, of his trousers, right? And just the leg, they just casually remove a part of his leg mm. just to put it to one side, and you realize, oh, the guy's leg has been amputated, and you almost it kind of hits. I mean, it, it always hits me. This is an image I always remember from this from this film, just in general. But then again, it you just cut to Harrison Ford, who's probably high as a kite, as well. <laughs> offering someone a cigarette and you know that it's not a real cigarette it's probably pot <laughs> but you know so it's like and, and but then again it serves a purpose because you see this so it it's perfectly juxtaposed as in like here's the here's this ultra violent piece of imagery of a young probably 19 year old boy losing his leg and potentially on his way to the grave cut to generals in their little safe house discussing a mission over a over a over a glass of brandy, you know, and some very fancy looking food, and which is fa- not the yes. slog that all the others will be eating. At that point, yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. Like, Apocalypse Now is one of the best films ever made. Uh, I don't like to use the word objectively, but this is objectively great. <laughs> um, in in every facet, it it, it took me one is it minute. Iconic? It is literally iconic in the actual sense of the word. It took me one minute on this rewatch to go, oh yeah, this I, I forgot, but this is this is incredible. Just when it opens with this montage. <laughs> I need to listen the to end. the doors again. Oh, the doors are so good. <laughs> Such an underrated. No, not not underrated. I mean, it's but, not underrated. Like, we on, take them not... for granted, you know? We take them for granted. So you don't see people talking about them like they do the Beatles and Rolling Stones, you know? They're just, just a level oh. below them in contemporary music conversation. Thank but... Jim Morrison for for not for dying, right? Like if he if he kept uh, if if he stayed for uh, with us a little bit longer, I think he would be he in could be with Paul McCartney right now, just saying, you know, just, some stage. Yeah. On live aid or something. Uh, <laughs> but but no it's it's Paul Simon. It's an astonishing opening that just keeps on bringing the goods. I've still only watched the theatrical cut. I keep wanting to... I, I have the Redux DVD, um, and I've been meaning to watch the final cut for a long time, but every time I talk to people, even talking to you guys, I'm like, I want to watch the other cut, but then everyone's like, don't do it. Just, you know, it's, it's, I've, seen, I've seen the extra content, but I've never seen it in context. Like, I've never seen it as the one full movie. I've seen the plantation scene. I've seen all the other deleted scenes that were added back in. But there's just just something so just perfectly paced about the theatrical cut that I love, and I'll I'll watch the other versions soon enough, probably in five years. <laughs> that can be considered soon. Um, but it's it is haunting. It's it's a haunting film. Um, to call it a trip would be an understatement in its own way. There is so much beauty in the horror in the violence present in this film that is outstanding i i think every single sequence in here has stuck with me since i first watched this movie it keeps on being on sticking with me um i always think of that one interview with with quentin tarantino um where he's talking about the uh, Manson family scene when when uh, Brad Pitt goes to the ranch halfway through Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and he was like I'm doing my my Apocalypse Now thing where in every shot in the background you're gonna have a dog running just like there's a there's a helicopter <laughs> in every shot in the background of Apocalypse Now and you're watching the first half of the movie and yes like just on a logistical level this is hell 
like you cannot afford that many cameras like they they, they were shooting some of these sequences for like it's almost like just a month for the raid <laughs> for something like that with Bride of the Valkyries the core the level of coordination just in terms of pure logistics of directing and stuff it's it's incredible but the the way that it's assembled together to create this emotional piece is is beautiful and horrifying at the same time. Like we were talking about the violence of this film. The one moment that has stuck with me the most in the first half, um, you mentioned, I think maybe you, Jakub, you know, there's the guy with his guts spilling out and mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a Viet Cong and you have uh, uh, Robert Duvall coming, ah, I, I would, I'll give water to any man who's keeping his guts in with a, with a pan. Come on! I just opened this this bottle of water, just about to give a drink to this guy. I'm like, oh, you, know, you see, this. I mean, it's not the best thing you could be doing to this man, other than you know actually saving him. But you know, he's he's trying. But then, as soon as he sees this famous surfer, that's part of Charlie Sheen's uh, group, he's like, oh, she's that the surfer guy? It <laughs> just stands up and leaves. Like, complete. It shows how just hypocritical and actually inhuman he is towards this man he's just putting on this facade of being the superior leader but he actually just doesn't give a shit you know um i'm and, not sure if he's hypocritical i think he's well, just no, switched off he's kind of like marlo as in he's just everyone in here is detached they just don't care yes. like they'll they'll look at the violence in the background and look away and just see the see the waves like how they split <laughs> <laughs> they could ride them side by side and meanwhile in the background there are just people being mowed down as in like this is a commentary right like this yeah. so it's not that he's a, hip, a hypocrite but he's hypocrite just was the wrong term, he's desensitized as in like he doesn't care like he, that he's participating in this brutal act of um of violence right it, that it, it is war right yeah and it's anyway. easy to lose focus as well on on, on what's happening because that's the only way you can actually keep your sanity that's that's the the theme of insanity uh is prevalent throughout the entire film and you know the the protagonist I keep forgetting his name uh willard, willard that martin sheen plays yeah I should have... Ah, oh, it's on the upper right corner. There you go. Uh, I keep forgetting it's actually written down. I always think it's just a small name on the bottom, but it's not. Um, but yes, that's, that's, his journey through his own personal hell it also mirrors the actual hell of Vietnam War and all of that. It's, he, he's not a likable protagonist. I think we discussed that with the... Marlowe from from Heart of Darkness, but it's even more clear that you can kind of sympathize with him, but you don't necessarily justify any of his actions, especially when he becomes really brutal and cold uh, with regards to you know just just the Vietnamese people that they encounter. There's this one scene when they actually stop a boat uh, just to do a routine check, and he says, "No, don't stop, don't stop. We have, we're on a mission. Just don't do the routine check." And the the boat leader says, "No, we're stopping. We have to do this." And it all ends into a massacre, and there's a wounded woman, and he just shoots her. He's like, we cannot afford to lose any more time. We're just going. He well, commits an act of violence, and she and just in, and we move in no on. Fairness, he puts her out of her misery. She wouldn't have survived after like having like six machine gun bullets in her back. I mean, and they're yeah. just like, we have, oh, she's still breathing. We have to like, we we have to That's go and protocol. take her. That's protocol. That's protocol. Take her because she's breathing. We have you have to just okay, we'll treat her, we give her medical help. But then he goes like, she ain't gonna survive. Boom, boom, done. Because he's dehumanized, he's desensitized again. But it's not necessarily also, a comment on on the on the character. It's just on the 
Like he's he almost on the practicality of his mission, right? But also, you don't have proof. You you don't have anyone who could actually <clears throat> say what happened on that boat, which was fairly illegal. And there's I mean, he, kn- beautiful... he knows that. He says this like we should. I told you you shouldn't have stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, of course, of course. But th- there is this this documentary that I I do recommend checking out. It's called Winter Soldier. I think it might actually be on Internet Archive. Uh, from it's the 1970s. The film, right? It's not the Marvel film. It's an actual documentary. Uh, and documentary. it's harrowing. <laughs> well, that's awesome. You know what I'm talking about. Chris Evans is really good in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sebastian Stan is the, is the Winter Soldier. Robert, no, Robert Redford's in that one, isn't he? <laughs> he is. It's a documentary. <laughs> um, no, there is a, a, 19, a documentary from 1970. I don't remember the actual year, but it is basically just actual... Uh, uh, veterans from the Vietnam War talking about what they experienced mm-hmm. and there are some f- stories in there that are just horrifying it's there's no real archival footage if I don't if I remember correctly it's just people talking at this public hearing you could say um, where they're saying everything that they witnessed and there's some things and I remember this story especially they talk about that I was thinking while watching this film and especially during that scene that I mentioned where they would get on helicopters and they would write in, you know, like we're carrying 10 prisoners. And mm-hmm. during the flight, they would just, you know, lose some of them <laughs> midway through the air. Just it happens. And no one would bat an eye. It was just, oh, there's seven people now in this helicopter. There were 12 on departure. What happened? No one's asking questions. No one's, you know, you're actually going to change the original writing. And it was, it was, it was always seven people, you know. Well, mm-hmm. what's the matter? There's no proof of that. And and you're seeing, and that's this what I was thinking about, like watching Apocalypse Now, and I find it interesting that you go from one year to the other, you have the Deer Hunter, which wins a lot of Oscars, and it's a critical darling, Michael Cimino, amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then you get to Apocalypse Now, and it hits people in a different way that's more uncomfortable. Um, and I was thinking about that, and in a way... The Deer Hunter, and a friend of mine talked about this, and I didn't really get it back then, but now I get it. It doesn't necessarily glorify war, but visually, you know, it's still painted. Deer Hunter? The Deer Hunter. It's not glorifying war. No. But there are the, the, the way that it's shot. <laughs> there's like the, the attack, like halfway through when they actually get to Vietnam. Uh, there are a lot of cool hero shots <laughs> of, of, uh, of uh, um, uh, uh, Robert De Niro. Just you know, it's coming in a halo of light, it's slow motion shooting, and while it is still a movie that is criticizing, especially the psychological effect of war, mm-hmm. uh, there is no denying it does kind of dehumanize uh, some of the Vietnamese with the Russian roulette and all of that. I love the movie to bits; I think it's incredible. But the way that Apocalypse Now portrays them, which is as people like I, I think the shot prior to the ride of the Valkyries kicking in, we're just seeing this village. It's it's a normal village. There's like, kids going at school. Everything's peaceful and quiet. There are people living, and they get annihilated by these men who are taking joy in setting fear in them. That's something that the Nazis would do with the airplanes. They would make the loud noises just to scare people of their arrival. Like, mm-hmm. it's sadistic. I think, you know, people have connected it to Wagner as well, you know, Wagner and fascism and blah, blah, blah. So there's there's some correlation there. I don't know how intentional it was in Coppola's, from Coppola's part, but... It's a grandiose, that's it's, why. It's grandiose. It's operatic, literally. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. the way it's shot, it's it's so beautiful, it's so clean. You mentioned, uh, Ewan, 
the the Omaha Beach sequence from Saving Private Ryan. That's gritty. That's handheld. It's all up close. People are screaming. Oh shit! Slap. No music. No music. <laughs> no music. This one is the opposite, and and I it it is purposeful. I think they could have afforded to make it more. Um, more vibrant we could say more kinetic if they wanted but they didn't and that was by design and it does play into it i completely agree actually what you were saying yahoo even rewatching it now in retrospect it's like oh shit yes the final part when you're actually seeing the temple and the sh- and the heads on the on on uh, on sticks and all of the awful acts that kurtz has committed you don't feel them <laughs> like it almost feels like it's that's just like so what's new you know Yes. Been, like, yes. I've been watching this for two and a half hours now. So is is he is he really that scary? Like that different? Like I don't see the difference. And that's the point. That's the point. <laughs> I think yes. that this, this is a genius of of everything that happens in the last half an hour, which is not loud. It's not action. It's it's slightly psychedelic. It's primarily dialogue driven. There's this. There's a lot of thick, just oppressive mood and atmosphere at this camp that this at this tribe that Kurtz has managed to to get under his control through through sheer charisma. And once I actually see Marlon Brando, like I mean, bless him, the man came on set overweight, not shaved knowing his, his line as always, shaved his head like as a lunatic. But he pulls it off. <laughs> it's this <laughs> close to wearing a muumu, right? Like on the set of <laughs> <laughs> of it's, it's the bit in Heart Dark. It's one, yeah, it's just one line detached. Um, when he's halfway through a line and he just stops and goes, I hate a fly, and he just walks <laughs> off. It's like, yeah, fantastic. He's really pulling it all together. It's, I mean, it's, it, it, again, I mean, another scene from Heart Dark that really stuck with me was when Coppola is going off the rails about how in how bad Brando is. And he's like, I don't care. I'll get Nicholson, I'll get Hoffman, I'll get anyone to do this. For the love of God, just settle into it. And it's it is a remarkable performance. I feel like it's obviously overshadowed because of the work they did together on The Godfather, but it really is just a stunning little supporting role that really ties everything together. Um Again, it's like, I hate saying this. Like, you can't, you can't see anybody else doing that. Um, I can. Maybe Mark Strong. Mark Strong could probably do it. Oh. Martin Strong, or Mark oh. Strong. Mark Strong, the guy Mark's... from Kingsman. Nicholson would kill it. I feel like Nick like, Nicholson. Like, plays... I think Coppola had a had a, had Nick... Pacino could kill it. N- ah, Nicholson <laughs> played Nicholson. Well, it was, like... Of course, it would be different. <laughs> <laughs> But you like in in a world in a world where Brandon doesn't do this role and Pacino or De Niro does it, you wouldn't really say like, "Oh, I wish Brando did it." You're like, "No," you'd be just like, "You'd be saying the same like, we De Niro really pulled it off," you know. In hindsight, Brando (laughs) did Island of Doctor Moreau, so we've we've got that to rely on for jungle-based antics for that man. Um, by all accounts, not a very good film, but it does have David Thewlis. So. Just stay away from Island of Doctor Moreau. Okay? <laughs> That's another <laughs> death by adaptation we're gonna do. Fantastic! Get the Can, I be, Can I be on it? Can I be on it? Yeah. We can do the entire series of, of adaptations of Dangerous Game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dear me. No, it's not Dangerous Game. What's the actual name of the book? Why did they say Dangerous? Well, the Island of Doctor Moreau. Yes, that's it's called the that's, island. That's the, the that's the book. 
No, what's it? Oh. By Herbert George Wells. History, Mr. What's one of the? Mr. Wells. Mr. Wells. I don't Mr. know why. Wells. I I was confusing it with the dangerous, most dangerous game. I don't know why. Oh, right, okay. There's the Island of Lost Souls. That's the early adaptation. Yes. So. yes. <laughs> I mix things up. Anyway, sorry. Continue, Yuan. Oh, I'd finished. Well, I, <laughs> uh, I just to wanted be honest, to kind of, I, don't, I don't remember what I was uh, saying. Just can I just quickly add on the sort of like idea of like how this movie hit? Like there is, yeah. I think there is an important sort of point to kind of just potentially add to the pot is, uh, like there is this sort of his. I mean, historically and like throughout the history of the human race, war has always been seen as some as this sort of this extreme of the human condition, right? Like there is mm-hmm. this sort of, um, this. This sort of the the I don't know this primitive dance that brings out the best and the worst out of humanity at the same time, because during times of of extreme violence you'll see people, you know you'll see some people actually just work up the courage to do things that you'd never expect them to do, like put their life on the line, save other people, um, you know. Also, 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 sort of remar- remarkable things, and you can see, like in like the Deer Hunter, you can see these, like the halo effect. This kind of shines through because these people will be just like, I'm here on the ground, I'm here in the bushes, and I'm and I'm I'm going to risk my life for my buddy to the right of me. That's the war bringing the best out of humanity because you're 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 putting your own life on the line to save your the buddy next to you, right, in the trenches. However, the the worst part of it is like, as you do so, you're also attempting to kill the enemy so so who's also a human being who also has a family who also has a wife maybe he has a has a kid and you'll be orphaning a, a, a child maybe if you if you're successful in your in your in in your mission right now in like you could see like, like this is why i suppose like war has always been romanticized to an extent that you know like maybe until like world war one came around like no one romanticizes world war one or world war two like this is not well, unless you're John Wayne, who's <laughs> never served, by the way. But you know, um, <laughs> but but you know, but in in 1979, Coppola makes a movie that kind of just almost w- willfully and knowingly um, omits the the idea of bravery, courage. Uh, that bring the sort of the, the the part of the bring the best out of humanity that. He focuses squarely on the the darkness of the human soul mm-hmm. that you know that that accompanies this sort of idea of going to war, and then it's impossible for people to swallow and process. I suppose this is maybe why people were just like, "Oh, I can't deal with this," but it's true, and I feel like this is kind of what it is, and especially that the message that the movie is trying to uh, advance. And well, I suppose transplants it from the book yeah. that it's so difficult to read that no one gives a shit, even though <laughs> it's the best written novel of the 20th century or 19th century or whatever. But uh, <laughs> but but then like he actually goes and goes and asks the same question: Why? Why are we doing this? What is wrong with us as a species? Because it's pointless. It's senseless. Look at this. Like we're told, we're totally devoid of humanity if we do this because we can just mutilate a. A bunch of people talk about surfing, and then establish a, an outpost somewhere in in the middle of nowhere and actively dismember the local populace while assembling a, a show with playable playmates. Okay, and then 
and it and it looks like it's just i suppose this is what they do you know yeah they don't care like it, it doesn't it, no one actually thinks like do you guys think this is inappropriate no no <laughs> it's fine because <laughs> we like no one gives a shit because we're like oh it's almost like we're not people here there are not people we're not people we're just monsters you know animals, it's like the Nietzsche. actual animals yeah yeah well animals are better than this <laughs> <laughs> animals don't do things like this to to each other. Not, not at least most. I know many animals don't do things like this to each other. Humans are kind of special in that regard, I suppose. But you know, it's a brutal film. It's 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 brutal in retrospect. Like it's it. Yeah, no, I'm 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 kind of at a loss. Um, even I, even when I was writing, when I was watching, I watched this movie the first time. In preparation for a thesis that I was writing for university, it was my my closing uh, project for my bachelor's, and it was all about the portrayal of war in cinema. Um, and watching this after watching some of the more <laughs> pro-Vietnam movies, like John Wayne's, I don't even remember the name of that. Oh, Green Berets. Yes, Green Berets. Green Berets, where the sun sets on the wrong side of Vietnam. <laughs> um, it's amazing. No, it's 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 so interesting to see how well this movie has aged as well. Um, compared to so many other war films that, for better or worse, have aged poorly. Uh, they feel more stagey. They feel more... Um, I don't know. They feel less real. And one of the fascinating things about these films is that it's not realistic at all. Like it's it's incredibly stylized right from the opening. It's not mm-hmm. even trying to be a, a gritty, raw, real portrayal of the war as it was. Um, it's very dreamy. It's so dreamy. I and you know I love Oneric. That's I the word, right? I love that. You know I love those things. I love yeah, my, I my, my, you, my my I know dreamy, you do. <laughs> mood. Yeah. Um, and I I don't even know if there's another war film that's ever reached this level even especially considering the source material um, i haven't seen it come and see fuck, wow. yeah would yeah, that be yeah, close yeah. but i have like it's on my watch list of like something oh, i really wanted to it? watch Sorry. no i haven't seen oh, it so Jesus. i just want but just from secondhand knowledge of like this this being a very sort of realistic and really damning portrayal of war would that come close yeah <sighs> I think so. Let's say so, yeah. For for the time uh, being, yes. If you want, kind of like, it, definitely not to the same success as Apocalypse Now has had, but the the two that have always stuck with me, the Steel Helmet and Ivan's Childhood, which mm-hmm. are really oh, well, brutal. The first Tarkovsky, Tarkovsky, is it Tarkovsky? Ivan's yeah. Childhood? Yeah. Yeah, first what's Tarkovsky the, movie. What's the other one? The Steel Helmet. The Steel um, Helmet about the Korean War in America. Well, not obviously not in America. The Korean War wasn't in America. I mean, the American, the warfare in Korea. Samuel up. Fuller, look at that. Yeah, I've never seen one. this film. Goes on the watch really, list. really fun. Well, not fun, but like you know, a very articulate representation of a war that hasn't exactly made it to the big screen. Um, both of those really stuck with me for their portrayal, which is on a similar tone to Apocalypse Now, where it's it understands that you know warfare is a really grim and disgusting part of life. Um, but it's very human, it's very introspective, and it's very very torturous. And Come and See always falls into that. I mean, it's been a while since I've watched Come and See, but that always falls into that sort of 
pool where it's you know it's it's been that highly regarded and rightly so because that is a brutal film really mm-hmm. really brutal unlike the uh, holocaust Unlike the Holocaust sort of front of this, I would say like the um, like there's your Schindler's List that's kind of like here's the um, the well known portrayal of this that's kind of just trying to get get things right or like the pianist that kind of just tries to tries mm-hmm. to get things right and there's something like Son of Saul, yeah, mm-hmm. which is kind of like the apocalypse now sort of not that has the sort of treatment of this is like this isn't taking place in any sort of like tangible reality like this takes place in hell right yes like it's just it's just inhabit like it just inhabits your your headspace in a different way like it doesn't really connect with you logically or academically it connects with your emotions much stronger than something like the pianist or Schindler's list does so i think as opposed to like apocalypse now does this to you as opposed to um something like platoon or the deer hunter which by the way the deer hunter is just i mean i i i, I know certain things are on purpose in here but like i like i really wasn't prepared prepared for a, a sitting through a russian wedding for an hour and a half <laughs> and, uh, i know it i know the purpose of it but jesus <laughs> christ chimino is just a guy who really loves himself you know <laughs> it's just but you know he needed a leash just someone to restrain him and stop him. <laughs> we're coming back on set no we're not needed, <laughs> we're moving needed, to another needed. part he needed like a tell me was it schoolmakers like some some editor to go and, like we can totally just cut this out. It's forty five minutes. I know. She I just know, loses Mike. the masters. Well, I guess we're not putting that in. Like one reel got got just misplaced. <laughs> even then, that's something that I do actually really like about Apocalypse Now. Uh, even even taking what you just said about Deer Hunter, for people who don't know or listening, there is. Like it is a, a film about the Vietnam War. It's over three hours long, I believe, or just three oh, hours. Oh yeah, just long. I think it's... just about smack smack on three hours and probably yeah. some change. But yeah, the first hour is just you know about a group of men at home going to celebrate a wedding. That's that's the first hour of the movie. Then you have this little less than the second hour is set during the actual Vietnam War, and everything else is the aftermath. Psycho out psychological scars these soldiers and what they like about apocalypse now is that you don't spend any time well almost no time on backstories for this man because it doesn't really matter when you become a soldier you're a blank slate you're a number you're a number you're a number you truly are you truly are unless you're the world famous uh, uh surfer dude you know you you see like some of the letters that the men receive which even then it's kind of Still, what's his name? You don't know. Like the only know the only man you know is Kurtz, really. Yes, it's like the even only like you were. Like the you only admitted yourself. Entity in a way. Like well. you, like you admitted yourself. Like Martin Sheen's character is just like, what's his name exactly? No one gives a damn toss, right? He's just the guy who on whose shoulder you're just. Yeah, on. They, but like you don't know anybody else. Like they're, they're they don't matter. The only guy that matters really is Kurtz, and then yeah. uh, and it's only because he. He's touted as something special, and you see him, and she's just like, "This is what what I've been lo- waiting for this whole time. <laughs> is this the god I'm, uh, I'm 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 supposed to take down? Are you an assassin?" Like he's <laughs> and he just <laughs> and, and he lies to him like, "No." <laughs> but he's is he he's, he understands the allure of him, you know. I th- I th- I think all of the build up to to the sequences with with Kurtz are so. So powerful, even rewatching it now, 
uh, it helps that you also have uh, Dennis Hopper coked up beyond belief as is as a Virgil type of guy. Very twitchy. <laughs> Come in, man. He's yeah, just, you just, just do that. If, and he's just like, Brando tells him to shut up and he still just shuts up for like three seconds and he goes like, so yeah, man. <laughs> that's when onset, that's, that is one of the best instance, instances of onset tension. Just translating beautifully. Do you think this, he wasn't in character? He was just telling Dennis Hopper to shut up? Probably was. You can, <laughs> you can feel he's very upset and very tired. And Coppola is just like, keep rolling, like we're keeping this. <laughs> It's very natural now, finally. <laughs> yeah, I I'm, happy, I'm happy for Dennis Hopper that he kept his dick in, 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 in his pants. Because <laughs> it was a challenge for him in the 70s. <laughs> At least in what we see. You know, maybe there's some there's a, a more <laughs> deleted footage that's never seen the light of day. Um, but yes, is there is there any any scene, like if you were to take one moment from this movie that kind of encapsulates what you like about it, especially considering you know, Heart of Darkness, where mm-hmm. you would go like, this is why... Because, I mean, the, the final question doesn't even really matter in this case, because we all know <laughs> which one <laughs> we prefer. No one's going to pick uh, Heart of Darkness. But if, if there was one scene from the film where it makes you go, you see, there's something kind of like this in Heart of Darkness, but this is why Apocalypse Now just works on a deeper level, at least for you personally. Jakub, why don't you oh. go first? Put I... you on the spot. Just in in general terms, the w- reason it works is because it kind of a spells it out visually, right? Mm-hmm. Just in general, and then also spells it out a little bit more concretely in in certain ways. Like, well, I, mean, I suppose this kind of just reverberates. They they will bomb the they they will bomb these people and throw napalm on villages, but they won't write fuck on the bomb because it will be obscene. Which is <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, well, in terms of moments. I think there's a f- like in like how it connects to the book or how like my pe- favorite moments because I have a favorite moment of, moment of the film is when you see Coppola going like look the other way yes. for the TV it's for the- it's brilliant by the way that was the uh, cover for my thesis I was like just the picture of him just going yeah go go but it's thematically appropriate as well because mm-hmm. there's there's a TV camera present and they also have to sell it. <laughs> Manipulation of reality. (laughs) They manipulate the reality by telling soldiers how to look when they're fighting, right? It's nuts. But just in terms of there's a few moments in in the film that kind of just I suppose they just encapsulate the spirit of the book and then I suppose the idea of what this film's trying to do. One of them would be the massacre on the boat. That's mm-hmm. really powerful. That's a powerful moment, actually. That's a powerful. That's a powerful moment for the characters, and like how, as he's drifting into, into insanity himself, and he's actually actively making a change because otherwise they're just observing. All he does is observe, and this is the only time he actually makes an act, makes something, him by does something by himself apart from killing Kurtz. Spoiler for Apocalypse Now. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> uh, and a- another one that really struck me was the long take when you see the air cavalry drop in robert duvall just inspecting the field and all Mm. these people just moaning and wailing in the background as he's just casually just diverts his focus towards waves and you know they're making a point and it's all just filmed so just choreographed so perfectly because there's this massive set 
all around them and there's these explosions everywhere and you can imagine coppola just like in the background going like 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 billy friedkin just <laughs> i want more explosions now just you know it's just you could see the, just keeping it cool <laughs> yeah but the grandeur of this is, is actually just beautifully underpinned uh in in there and also is just selling you this message that this is all for naught because these people are not like there's no cause to this war this mm-hmm. this war is this war is evil just because there is you know i think the, all that matters when you go to war is the reasons to go to war if you go to if you go to to war to defend your country or to defend your homeland you're excused you know you're you're you know you have to you have to defend your family i suppose right but this, like you can see, that the Vietnam War wasn't was a war of conquest, and uh, a war of brutal conquest, kind of symmetrical to the war of brutal conquest that the Belgians unle- unleashed upon the native native population of the Congo, right? So that, and that's why I suppose people really did, could not possibly stomach it, even though they may have not even realized that at the time. So it's kind of like the the, the sort of air cav- cavalry just sells it to me like this, and it's already already smack in the beginning of the film. Right? It's crazy, crazy, beautifully put, man, beautifully put. How about you, Yuan? There's always one scene that sticks out for me, and I, I guess it's kind of the whole point of it is when when he's killed Kurtz and he walks out and he sees everybody bow to him and he's got the machete in his hand. And he's about to step on the board. He's like, oh, actually. I could be the next, you know. It's I could do this. The new god. <laughs> I could do this. I could. I could be the new kind of mad with power thing. It's all about power at the end of the day, isn't it? It's all about who holds the most power in 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 this environment or that environment. The the consequences don't matter as long as the power still remains. And it's it's it really does. It's it's such a chilling scene. I love it. It's really really good because it articulates everything that the book tries to do as well as what Kapoor had in mind. Where it's you know. There weren't stories of a similar variety in the actual Vietnam War, but there were rebellions against officers. There was stuff like, you know, troops would kill the commanding officer because they lost all faith. There, there is a loss of faith right at the core of Apocalypse Now mm-hmm. that rings so true to the time period that Coppola wants to adapt. He's reflecting on, actually, the Vietnam War was a savage and brutal war. But not for the right reasons, not not for the reasons that you would usually associate with warfare. It was more because everybody kind of went a bit feral. Um, haunting stuff, but that scene for me is just perfect. It, it ties everything together so nicely. Um, of course, the other honourable mention would be that dinner with the French um, in that one edition of the movie. Which I can't remember which one it is, but I remember. It's the Redux. And I think it's in the final cut, maybe. Yeah. I, I remember watching it and thinking, I don't hate this, but it doesn't really make sense. Like, I get I get what he's going for. Mm-hmm. Like, where it's, oh, it's a flashback in time when the French were still involved. But yeah, it doesn't really work. But the final scene where it's like, you know, Martin Sheen wandering around with a machete going, hang on a second, I could be king. It, it's really beautiful because I feel like it's a very human sort of worry where it's like, oh, I've conquered the beast. I can, I can now sort of step into its place. It's wonderful. It's Nietzsche for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Just saying. Just, just there for the taking. It's so close. Just, um, those who, uh, those who go, uh, those who go out to slay, to slay monsters should be wary not to become one, right? Don't look into the abyss, etc., etc. Exactly. 
it was on to something. It was on to something. Nice. Um, my choice. I, like, there's there's so many great scenes in here, um, and even how they mirror moments from the book. But for me, it probably has to be, especially reading the book and watching the movie so closely to one another. It is the aftermath of the air raid on the village. Um, mm. You just you're just going through through the massacre and there's there's no feelings there's no emotion like these these aren't people these are just lifeless bodies that are ready to be discarded and, and move on to another village to destroy and enjoy the waves and it does kind of mirror you know just the, the torture and the inhumanity shown to 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 the africans in in heart of darkness it's kind of the same thing it's, it's like yeah even what we were talking about earlier and what you were talking about, Jakub, of, of the racism of Heart of Darkness. Like, no one would say Francis Ford Coppola hates the Vietnamese after watching the movie. Like, I hope not, at least, uh, because of how they are portrayed, quote-unquote, because it's, it's just, that's, that's how it was seen. That's how the characters see them. They're not people for them. And that's probably the most interesting parallel that I, that I found watching the movie with the book uh, and kind of why I found it more powerful in a sense because of the, of the visual element because of the man trying to hold his guts in because of the slaughtered family that's just dispatched in an instant like there's no none of the action scenes outside of the actual you know there's no action scenes actually that's the point like there's no cool choreography of, of things coming it's like no it's just chaos and things blowing up and people screaming and it's over quicker than than you think than you imagine. Um, brutal. We've we've also a worthy mention to the boat scene. That that whole massacre is just, you know, I I, I think there was another movie that I saw. I, I rewatching the scene. I thought this was that movie where they actually had weapons on the boat or something like that. I don't even remember. Isn't this like Rambo Four or something like this? Speaking <laughs> maybe you could know. be. Just but like, then it's no, over a puppy on the boat. Well. <laughs> and it's over a puppy, the cutest darn puppy. They and just they take the puppy as well. Yeah, they just yank him around. It's just poor puppy. Animals were harmed in the making of this. There's a cow that has a horrible uh, end uh, during the climax of the movie when Kurtz is killed. You know. But this is uh, production value because I think apparently they were just about to sacrifice the ox anyway, so they just filmed it. It's like the chicken in pink flamingos. You know, it's going to be eaten anyway. So no, it's just when like it's not like couple of guns. Like, can we kill a cow and film it? Like, no, no just I think these the locals were this is this is this was ritual for them. So they just filmed it and incorporated it, juxtaposed it again in, to again, another like, ritual <laughs> to another ritual sort of killing, right? But then it's kind of like the ending of the Godfather. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> like this sort of the I renounce the devil, you know. It's, just couple of knows how to make a good montage, man. I know, right? <laughs> oh, every at least I, I want to say maybe every one of his movies is no, no, not every one of his movies, but you know, a few of his movies have great montages in them. There are some some not so great. I don't think Jack uh, has any standout montage. No, but I will say this: that like he's one of the few directors, possibly maybe, maybe Hitchcock is the other one that I could possibly say who has a string of four undisputed masterpieces under his belt 
Like, yes, in, in, girl... a, in, a, in a, let's say, objective way, yes. Yeah, as in, like, films that are just, a, a, well, just widely considered mm-hmm. indispensable to the culture, right? So, like, your the Godfather conversation, Godfather Part 2, and Apocalypse Now, all in the span of nine, eight to nine years, right? And then you have, like, for me, Hitchcock is another one, because you have North by Northwest, Vertigo, Psycho, and The Birds, I suppose, right? The 50s run, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but then I, I can't think of many more like this. I mean, people are just Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit down. <laughs> he doesn't say that name here. <laughs> We're gonna wake Jack. <laughs> oh, amazing. No, I'm 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 so happy we did this. I I I've I've been meaning to rewatch Apocalypse Now for a while. I wanted to watch the the, the final cut, but again, that's for another time. You <laughs> know, it's fine. It's Next fine. Next podcast. <laughs> It's a redux of this episode. We're just gonna reread <laughs> Heart of Darkness again, um, and then just watch Apocalypse. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, this is it for this episode of the Death Adaptation Podcast. It's time to roll out the red carpet for you guys. Jakub, where can our listeners find you on the web? Oh, I'm gonna do a proper plug this time because I never do this did do this right. So can find me personally at Talkable Film Twitter. Yes. Uh, Jakub Flash on Letterboxd. You can find my writings on flashonfilm.com. Yes. And then occasionally on Clapper as well, where I've, I've written a few reviews re- recently. Um, also, you can listen to the show I run together with Randy and Nicolo as well. Although, Nicolo, you've been just like, I don't know what's happened. But, you know, anyway. I'm, I'm so tired at night. It's like 11.20 p.m. It's, and it's a miracle that I'm still awake. <laughs> yeah. So it's mostly now Randy and me <laughs> just talking about stuff. So I don't know when this when is this coming out and I can. It's actually what? coming out when I'll probably have, I'll be I'll have, I'll have been back. It's coming out at the end of uh, no, it's coming out in two weeks time. What am I talking about? Oh, so okay. on the 9th of April, if all goes well. All right, so it'll be away. So hopefully, it's, everything's published. Okay, so you can tune into the show, which is Uncut Gems Podcast at Uncut Gems Pod everywhere. Uh, where we talk about movies nobody else gives a toss about. And then just about recently, we've completed our mini run of Brandon Lee movies, um, which we finished with The Crow, and now we're going through 90s superheroes, because why not, right? <laughs> um, so you can go and listen to that. And if you really like what we're doing and like our voices and whatever, you can also support us on Patreon because we have to pay for these Zencaster fees. <laughs> we love you, Zencaster. <laughs> Uh, but then over on, on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash uncutgemspod, you can you can go and listen to the po- conversations about movies that are a little bit more, let's just say, well-known. Um, and then we yeah. have all sorts of marathons. Like we've completed last year a full-on complete filmography of David Lynch, which is there for the taking. Um, bonus tie-ins, mini retrospectives. And this year we're going through Steven Soderbergh on our show. So on the main show, we're, go- we're going through his sort of deeper cuts. Mm-hmm. And on the Patreon, we're just going through the Traffics and Oceans, Elevens of the World. And then also we're going through John Cassavetes one by one. So we've just about, like, as of recording, last night we've re- we've recorded a conversation about a child is waiting and that was a conversation that I have. So, you know, hmm. so there's plenty of stuff to listen to if you're if you're into that kind of stuff. And if you don't mind, listening to me ramble because i do ramble <laughs> uh, so so you know An- anka james pod everywhere on social media or anka james podcast.com is a website where you can find all the links so there's that and flash on film.com don't forget you, know, you can read read my writings in there that's me Anka james patreon is the definition of bank for your buck 
So it's absolutely. Three, bucks, three dollars. <laughs> that's 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 almost a dollar an episode a month, and you have over a year of content already present. So oh, that's that's a bargain. It's a, it's a good yeah. bargain right there. It's like fifty podcasts already in there. So I, d- I don't believe in overcharging the public because for me this is all about supporting and just making sure that at least we can pay the bills and just if this show pays for itself, I'm happy. Yeah. So just about was paying for itself before <laughs> it's plastic came along and said, like, no, you can't do this for free anymore. Gotta have uh, the ante now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, go and support us if you can, because it helps. And then there's plenty of conversations about cool movies. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. How about you, Yuan? Where can um, they find you online to read your writing, to hear your talking? The, the usual places. Um, you can get me on Twitter, uh, where at the time of recording I am verified, but at the time of publication I won't be, because that tick tech tock, bastard tick Musk has stripped me of my crown. Hey, don't, play, cannot, don't hate the player, hate the game. can't kill my <laughs> legacy. And you can find that legacy on Twitter at Ewan Gledo, E-W-A-N-G-L-E-A-D-O-W, same for Letterboxd. Um, you get me on Rate Your Music and Goodreads as well, I guess. Um, I tend not to check the comments on there, because I, I get a slate of nasty comments. On Goodreads um, or Rate Your Music? <laughs> all of <Or> them. <laughs> Do you get uh, hate you mail get, on Goodreads? Like, this is an achievement. I get I get hate mail every day now. It's Put it on your bio. The I, most hated man this side of the internet just had a comment through oh dear you really don't like noel gallagher hefty dollops of condescending bitterness bravo you get for just being in music criticism yeah well this is a toxic crowd i thought the gaming (laughs) criticism was rough and oh jesus but yes uh, if you want to if you want to level me a comment and add to my ad revenue you can go to cultfollowing.com um and i also do work for daily star because man's got to eat uh daily mirror uh clapper uh, Death by Adaptation, obviously, Yay. which is where I am currently, and my podcast as well. Don't listen to this, which is currently on hiatus because I'm very, very tired, and I just got done with a two-week trip around the country. <laughs> and safely say that most of it is pretty shit. So that's the UK toured and charted. Um, the rest of my stuff just goes out whenever. Uh, currently reviewing Depeche Mode, Noel Gallagher, Pink Floyd, Bob Dylan, Bono, and <laughs> Lana Del Rey, which, as you can probably tell. New album out for who? For all of them, um, yes. And Depeche Mode has the best of all of them, um, which is, to be fair, not a surprise. Uh, but yeah, you can get me on all those places. And uh, I forgot I have a Patreon, which <laughs> to be honest, is pretty pretty useless to me because I don't publish anything on there and haven't since July. But if you would like to pay as long me, as they're paying. Yeah, just give me money. That's that's what I'm here for. Jakob very nobly said he's here for the arts, I'm here for the cash. Um, I feel like there should be two sides to every coin, as long as that coin is going in my pocket. Um, well, but I'm sure I'll be back for another another lovely rendition of Death by Adaptation as a just an everyday, non-verified man. Yeah. You can't see it, but I'm fucking seething. <laughs> Why would <laughs> you really? be? Why would you be? Like, honestly. Yeah, yeah honestly. Like, I, know, I know people kind of just attach their personalities to this blue check mark, but who gives a talk? Because when I go on dates, I can't say, oh, did you know I'm verified on Twitter? Uh, no, like, genuinely, Twitter, the, the whole verified thing on Twitter has done absolutely nothing for increasing view counts on anything I've done. There nothing. you go. Yeah, it's useless. It is completely useless. Practically, 
completely it's a useless. wank fest is what it is oh uh, look at me i'm verified oh it's like the rt sort of like when people kind of put their tomato in their bio and just like somehow just elevates <laughs> their status no it doesn't yes and some people put it in even if they aren't verified just put a pepper like a bell pepper and then <laughs> <laughs> bell pepper on, yeah, yeah. a cauliflower an aubergine <laughs> uncanny i got duped um <laughs> amazing meanwhile you can follow me oh, on twitter Am I gone? Hello. You're back. You're back. He's you're gone. Back. Okay, good. <laughs> I started to go in, and you were like, "Oh, I've lost." <laughs> Just froze for a second. Okay, no, I'm back. Right? Okay, good. Yes, I'm writing down the time stamp so I can fix it in post. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no worries. It happens. At least it's at the end. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at nickgrand97, and there you can find links to everything, including. My, my short films and videos on YouTube and Vimeo, my writing for Clapper, my gaming writing for Cold Following now, and also, of course, you can follow this podcast, Death by Adaptation, on Instagram and Twitter, respectively, Death by Adaptation Pod and Death Adaptation. Stay tuned, because right now we're taking, you know, an extra week of break in between because I'm going away for a, for a, for a film shoot. And I'll be back soon. You know, it's Easter as well. We all deserve a nice little break now. We'll be back to talk about the friends of Eddie Coyle and Kogan Strait, aka Killing Them Softly. A nice George Higgins double feature. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you have a fantabulous day. Bye bye. The horror. <laughs>